Hey, what up, everybody? Welcome to a special bonus episode of Pod Strickland. This is going to be part two of the mailbag episode we did last week. We recorded this on Sunday, immediately after recording our regular weekly episode. This week, we did a five-year redraft, so check that out if you haven't already. But Steve had to go back to being a dad as soon as we were done with that, so this mailbag is just Jacob and myself. I think we answered most of the questions that we didn't get to last week, and we had a lot of fun doing it, so we hope you all enjoy. All right, two episodes ago, we did a mailbag, and unfortunately, we weren't able to get to all of the questions. We'd sort of narrowed it down to a list of about 20 of the questions that we liked most, and I think we got to nine or 10 on that last mailbag episode. So right now, this is kind of a little bonus episode. We'll see how it goes, but we're going to try to get to at least a few more of those mailbag questions, you know, at least some of our favorites here. So yeah, Jacob, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I thought some of these questions that we didn't get to because we got kind of caught up on cancel culture for about a quarter of last episode. Some of these questions are awesome and I, I was really enthusiastic to get us to do more of them, especially since these are questions that, you know, you guys have sent in to us. So it's important that we kind of, you know, we respond and we keep a community active. So yeah, I think I think it's going to be great. Absolutely. It gets us thinking, um, you know, d- differently. Like these are topics that we probably wouldn't have thought about otherwise. So it's a lot of fun. I love doing these. I think we're going to make this a regular thing. Like maybe even once a month, we'll do a mailbag or else maybe we'll, um, we'll incorporate listener submitted questions into, you know, the end of our regular episodes or we'll, we'll find a way to keep doing it. But, but keep sending us your questions regardless. The email again is podstricklandpod at gmail.com. So podstricklandpod at gmail.com. Hit us up with any questions, any uh, topic suggestions for future episodes or any feedback, uh, or if you just want to say what's up or talk some shit, just hit us up yeah. anytime. We, we, we check it every day. So we'll keep compiling these questions and we'll address them, you know, whenever we can. But, but this is, uh, this is sort of from the first batch that we got anyway, and let's get into it. Um, this first question that I have here is, is from Kevin. He says, as an avid fan of all things draft related, what prospects did you hit on? Who did you miss on? And those you missed on, what did you think they would become when they were drafted? Do okay. you want to go first on this one? Yeah, so I'll have a much um, smaller because uh, as kind of guys who have listened to, I think actually I, I said it on the very first podcast, so go listen to that one in the beginning. It sounds trash, but you know it's the beginning for a reason. I said that I actually got into the NBA because obviously I'm from London, if you can't tell. In the 2015-2016 season, I'd been a casual fan for a while, but that was when I started to really get invested, was during that 2016 season. And even then, the actual 2016 draft, I wasn't that focused on. Like, I knew Ben Simmons, like, you know, but I didn't didn't really go deep. The 2017 was really the first draft I actually got really invested in. And of that, I still remember my um, big board, was my top four players were number one was Lonzo, number two was Josh Jackson, number three was De'Aaron Fox, and number four was Markel Fultz. So you can see where I fucked up there in terms of the best players. But I'm, I've kept this to um, guys that were kind of taken in the top 10 or guys that I would have taken in my top five to focus on. So players I hit on were, I think it's a clear one, Luka Doncic, I had clear number one player in the draft I had Trey Young number two in that draft so I had I like to think the two best players as my top two 
John Morant, I actually said in what we recorded earlier today, which um, our redraft of the last five years, that I actually think John Morant is the best PG prospect I've ever seen coming out. And I had him, if it weren't for Zion, he would have been an easy number one. I don't really count Zion because who can fucking, that was unanimous. Darren Fox, number three, I was quite proud of. And then actually this year, Brandon Clark, I had, I think, sixth on my board because I was like, this guy, it's not a great draft. And once I get past about four, I'm not sure any of these guys can be great. So I'm going to take the guy I think is already really good. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm pl- proud of that one because I believed what I believed he would be what he is now. Other things I did well were guys I didn't trust. Well, I didn't trust Markel Fultz. Don't, don't ask me why. I just didn't trust him. It wasn't because of a shoulder injury. I'm not clairvoyant, but I didn't trust him. And that's turned out to be true. I didn't think Bagley would do much. And I didn't think Bamba would do much. So that's me tooting my own horn. Guys that I really fucked up on. Josh Jackson, I thought was like going to be a bigger Jimmy Butler. I was all in on Josh Jackson. And that was bad. <laughs> Frankie Smokes, Frank Tilakina, I was big on. I was I was big on Frank I think I had him fifth and I thought he could have been a point Kawhi. Like I thought he could have been, uh, I mean, Kawhi is obviously like the ceiling, but I did believe that's kind of like point guard Kawhi was what he could have been. And yeah, that's just not the case. I do still ride with him a bit on defense because he's amazing and he does seem to be in some good lineups, but there's just not much there. One other place I fucked up was I did not trust Jason Tatum. I thought he would be what Kevin Knox is now. That was what I believed about Tatum coming out. Like if you'd said Josh Jackson or Jason Tatum, Josh Jackson 10 times out of 10 easily. And I could not have been more wrong there. I was also big on, it's a bit early, but I was big on Jarrett Culver and that has not paid dividends. (laughs) Another guy I was very big on was Zaya Smith. And that I'm still, it's yet to bear fruit, but it's not looking great because he's like allergic to like, it's like concrete or something, like something weird. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, like there's, I mean, he is in Philly and Philly just seems to just break the legs of every draft pick they take, but he hasn't really done well. But I have to say like of the main guys, I haven't really whiffed that many times. Apart from that 2017 draft, I really fucked up with like Tatum and Jackson and Frankie Smokes. But I don't think I've had enough drafts to really fuck up enough times for this to be too funny, unfortunately. <laughs> Those are some good ones, man. You actually you did more than I was planning on doing. I was gonna um I was just gonna give a couple of examples. With me, like I haven't I'd say like the last seven, eight years, I haven't watched a ton of college basketball. So a lot of times I go into these drafts and like I'll watch clips. But I don't feel that confident, right, in yeah. projecting guys on draft night. Now, a lot of my projections come from summer league and even like the first two months of their rookie season, something like that, where I've actually seen them play a decent amount. And that's where I start to make predictions. And I've had a lot of big hits on those for sure. Um, Giannis is a good example. Like, you know, the first month of his rookie season, I was telling everybody who would listen that this guy was going to be the best player in the NBA someday. I just, I, I just saw it in him. But heading into the draft, I had no idea who he was. I had never even heard of him until he was picked. So, so if we're just talking about guys from the draft, Kawhi is, is my number one, I think that I can think of. I had him number one on my draft board that year in 2011. 
He was no, my no question number one player in that draft. I saw him play a couple times um, at San Diego State. And again, I saw the hands, um, the strength, the rebounding, the defense, the shot didn't look bad. Man, just the way he carried himself. Like to me, he was the no brainer top player in that draft. So I would say like he was my biggest hit. And like, you know, you could probably check the receipts on that. I'm sure I posted about it. I've definitely was telling people about him at that time that this guy's going to be the best player in this in this class. So I had him number one, no question in 2011. So I would say Kawhi is my biggest hit. I've had a lot of misses, but uh, <laughs> I th- the, I'll, I'll go with one from that same draft. And that's Jimmer Fredette. I thought Jimmer, I thought Jimmer was going to be good. Like, I can't lie. Like, I actually, I think I, I remember saying he should have been a top five pick. So that probably negates um, my great call on Kawhi is that I thought Jimmer was going to be good. I don't know if I thought he was going to be like a perennial all-star Hall of Fame or anything like that, but I thought he was going to be a good NBA player. And I just thought he was a good enough shooter that, you know, he could he could be like a starter for a long time just on his shooting. And, and looking back, the thing with Jimmer is this happens a lot where, you know, you see a guy in college and it's like, I mean, he's, you know, he's not a bad athlete. Like he's not super unathletic, but uh, but then he gets to the pros. This is with Jimmer and it's like, oh yeah, he's playing in concrete shoes right now. Like he's just too slow. And then even with more athletic guys, it happens. Like I think RJ Barrett's a really good example of like, he looked pretty athletic in college. He was a plus athlete in college, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. But then all of a sudden you see him in the pros and it's like, ah, he's average at best athletically. And for a guy with his skill set, that's that's very problematic. But but back to Jimmer, yeah, I would say he was he was my biggest miss. Another big miss that comes to mind, and he's turned out to be a nice player, but I thought he was going to be way better is Mason Plumley. Wow. I mean, dude, the guy's a legit seven feet, a freak athlete, really. Like he's unbelievably athletic for his size. And, uh, you know, if you saw him at Duke, it was like, okay, this, there's a lot here. Like if this guy works on a few things, like his, you know, his shooting and maybe putting the ball on the floor a little bit, like he's not that far from being a really good NBA player. And he just never put that together. He kind of just, you know, he's kind of still doing the same things well that he did well at Duke. And he's a really nice NBA player. I think he's one of the best bench players in the league, but I I thought he was going to turn into an all-star. So that was another big miss for me. And I could go down that, that list for a while. And there's another couple guys I probably hit on, but, uh, but Kawhi is like my pride and joy in terms of, um, in terms of like pre-draft predicting how he's going to be. But, um, in that draft, I'd like, yeah, no, I, Kyrie yeah. and Kemba like that's and those, those would have been like real marquee names to pass on mm-hmm. at that time but uh yeah no Kawhi was like no question like I watched him play I'm like this is the best player in college basketball that's what he struck me as and that was one of my last years of really watching a lot of college ball but yeah and he's he's lived up to it man he's 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 even probably better than I expected him to be but I I, I did think he was going to be definitely a perennial all-star at the very least and wow yeah I, lo- I love Kawhi Anyway, um, let's let's move on from that one. Uh, this next one is from Lance. This one's from Lance. What team do you see DeRozan fitting in with this offseason? Which system would get the most out of him in a winning situation? Well, let me just say right away that I think DeRozan's going to be coming back to the Spurs this offseason. He's got a player option. And just with um, – I, the market for him is probably a little bit lacking. And then also, obviously, the uh, the financial questions uh, with the NBA, he'd be stupid not to take that. I think it's $27 million player option for next season. But like for the purpose of this question, 
let's look at you know when he's a free agent, um, where he would fit in with best. A team that came to mind for me was the Hawks. I think if you're if you're looking for a guy like DeRozan, you kind of need like a specific set of circumstances and and personnel. Like, all right, I think you need you need a secondary creator, right? You need a kind of like a, a scoring punch. You need a veteran, and you need to have some shooters to make DeRozan work. You got to have some shooters around him because we all know he. Um, is not a big fan of the three-pointer. And I think the Hawks kind of check all those boxes, right? They're a young team that could use a veteran. They've got a great creator in Trey, but they could use a secondary creator. They don't really have another guy that can create at that level. And then they they have shooters. Cam uh, Reddish, in theory, should be a, an excellent shooter. I think that's I think he will become that. Obviously, Trey. And then you have Herter. So I think you've got... The enough shooters around him and enough of a, a need for a, a secondary creator and also just a veteran presence that like if they could bring him in at and I you know to be honest I didn't look at all these teams cap situations and the feasibility of something like that but I think that is something you know if they're trying to make, say they miss the playoffs this year just barely and they really want to get in the playoffs next season tomorrow's a free agent I think he's a guy they could look at and and I think that by that point he'll be willing to sort of take on a kind of a secondary role or maybe even be a third option and just a just like a scoring punch and a veteran at, as he gets into his, his early 30s here so the Hawks were kind of the team I, that came to me as far as like a good fit for DeRozan uh, when he does become a free agent oh yeah that's that's a good one I actually I focused on the the winning situation part of that question so I only really looked at playoff teams or bubble playoff teams so I didn't really consider the Hawks but that's 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 a good one. I think he would. I think that's probably one of the only teams because honestly, my notes on this, my first note is absolutely fucking nowhere. Like there's absolutely <laughs> nowhere I would take if I was a GM of any playoff team. I, I would not take DeRozan anywhere. I like know. it was a tough question, man. It was a tough question because <laughs> I was doing that too. I was going through every team and I'm like, nope. And I like yeah. DeRozan. I really do. Like I think he, he's a great player, but he's just not the kind of player you want nowadays. And it's like it was hard to find a situation that made sense for him, unfortunately. Because because like, yeah, because like my my notes are like he's a good inside the arc scorer, and he is. He's like one of the best inside the three point line scorers in the league especially that like 10 to 23 feet range he is really having like the season of his life in that range he's an he's an except i think his assist numbers overstate how good a playmaker he is but he's all right he's pretty good but he is a terrible defender and floor spacer and i don't think there's any team that needs the former a good inside scorer and acceptable playmaker over the latter like if i had to choose i came to this and this is pretty out there I would play him at the power forward spot in Memphis. That's like I would I would have like I would have like I would have like Jar Triple J and Clark rotating at the five. And obviously obviously DeRozan's only playing like, you know, twenty five, thirty minutes. But you know, I'd have Triple J and Clark at the five and four spots, Jar as the primary playmaker, and yeah, I'd take DeRozan as a kind of secondary playmaker. That kind of just play the power forward, man. You're not that. That is wild. You, but dude, I mean, he is probably taller than Draymond Green. He is, yeah, right. He's big. He he's is six big. seven. He's yeah. six seven, and he's strong. That's a wild idea. But fuck, why not? I like yeah. that. Yeah, but then, but then, I even even then, I was like, if I do that though, if I'm Memphis, no, I still say no because I got Jar and I want floor spacing around him. 
And like, you know, like I think they could find it. I think they I, actually that's another team that would sort of make sense. Like that's kind of what like young, young sort of borderline playoff teams. Yeah. Like I feel like those are the teams that the with shooting. I feel like those are the teams that could yeah. could really um could use yeah. him. But that's gonna be really interesting because that's that's coming up. And I mean, I don't know what he's even gonna command. Like, is he 15 million a year, 10 million a year? Like, what's his value? He's yeah. he's I mean, dude, if you put him in the, the 80s or the 90s, he's probably like a top five player in the league. Like, but oh, just nowadays, like he's just um, but he has there's a lot to like about his game still. And like, I don't see a reason why he can't become like an average three point shooter. Like, why can't he just shoot five threes a game and shoot 37 percent on him? Like, I, like, he's not a bad shooter. He always shoots good at the line. He's a great mid range shooter. Like, I see no reason why he can't be an average three point shooter. Yeah, I have, I have no idea why he's just right. Why he's chosen? He's almost chosen. I'm sure the Spurs have empowered him to do this, but why he's chosen to not develop that shot, like he could, like that just speak. Like I'm like, nah, you're you're a really good player, but you fall into this gray area where, like, like Melo, when he was kind of falling off, where it's like, there's nowhere you fit your 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 play style, your role, what you do well. There is no winning situation where you fit. And I just, I just don't want him. Like, if I'm any team, I just say no. I don't want you. Even, you know, unless I'm getting you for a minimum, and you're not going to sign for a minimum, so no. So, like, you know, like, but what if you could, what if you could turn him into a, sh- like, what if you're just like, what if you incentivized his contract? Like, what if, what if a team signed him and was like, yo, man, you're going to make twice as much money if you, <laughs> if you can make a certain amount of threes at a certain clip, and he's just like, all right, yeah, because like, dude, he has the ability. Like, he's a great player. He's, a, he's a good shooter. Like, he just. I want to say two seasons ago, maybe three seasons ago, where he he really actually started to shoot the three and it was hitting him all right. And then just this past season, he took almost none. And uh, it just doesn't make sense to me because if you could turn him into, he's young enough. He's I think he's only thirty. I mean, if you could if you could turn him into like a league average three point shooter, and then with all the other stuff he does offensively in terms of getting to the line and getting to the hole, like and he's a pretty good passer. He, he could still be a really valuable player. Like he just needs to evolve and it doesn't make much sense that he hasn't the Spurs. It's just such a weird situation there right now. Um, They're obviously not going to bring him back after this next season, but let's move on. Um, This next question is from Grant. I uh, referenced our, uh, our all NBA podcast. We did. He says the near inclusion of Jason Tatum in your all defensive second team initially annoyed me. <laughs> but the more I thought about it, it's probably justifiable. But for the sake of argument, could you rank the Celtics forwards defensively? So rank the Celtics forwards in terms of defense. Um, you can go ahead on, on this right. one, man, if you yeah, want. Yeah, because yeah, I've done a bit of research on this. So how I um, classified a forwards is you play, according to basketball references, play-by-play data, you played more than 50% of your time at the three or the four. And that came to six guys. That's Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Semi Ojale, Grant Williams, Gordon Hayward, and Javante Green. I have not seen nearly enough of Javante Green. Like I can't. I'm trying to recall my. I can't remember no, seeing him on the floor. So I'm just not going to include him. So Tatum, Jalen, Semi Ojale, Grant Williams, and Gordon Hayward are the five. I'm going to go fifth place. Gordon Hayward. I think he might be their most this might be con- I think he might be their most valuable offensive player in terms of what he brings all around game like he might be their best passer but he is not a good defender especially after everything that's happened with his injury and like coming back that year and never really getting back to what he was he was never great great to begin with so but he's in a good system 
Yeah, I have him fifth. Uh, fourth, Grant Williams, because I th- I do see some good role player in his game, but he's still a rookie. Unless you're like Matisse Thibel, you're not a good defender as a rookie. I don't care who you are. Like you're just not good enough. You don't know the reads. You don't you don't have, know the speed of the game that that well. He might be really good one day, but I just don't see it yet. Third is Semi Ojale. He's a fucking brick wall and super super. It kind of like there are flashes, especially in the playoffs, where I'm like, damn, where the fuck are Boston keeping this guy? And then there's other times I'm like, oh, that's why he's their ninth man off the bench. Like, you know, I see these flashes either way, but he is a def- a really nice defender. I am I might be a bit higher on, on semi than I should be because of just that kind of the physical profile he has. But yeah, I am third. And then second, Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, second, first. I think we saw that one coming, really, if we had Tatum in our all-defensive team. And Jalen Brown is a great defender. But I think Tatum just slightly edges him out right now. They're very close, though. They are very close. That's my five. All right, yeah, I, I agree. I'll, I'll just I'll go kind of in the opposite order here, and I will also exclude Javante Green because yeah, I'm a Celtics fan. I don't think I saw him play at all. I'm actually going to go with Jalen slightly ahead of Tatum. Mm-hmm. I didn't have Tatum on my all defensive second team. I know you guys did and like yeah. he's deserving of it. But again, I, I do think he's lifted up in terms of his numbers by just how good Boston is overall defensively. Um, I think the analytics do favor Tatum a little more than, than Brown. And I think Tatum is, is a better off ball. De- I think he's like a better help defender yeah. than Jalen at this so, point. Yeah. Like I think he's got a better awareness defensively, but I think Jalen is a better on ball defender and I think Jalen has uh, better physical tools. I, I really think strength is is very important when we talk about defense. Like when you look at some of the best defenders in the league, like Kawhi, like that's I think that's his greatest asset as a defender. Is I think he's the strongest wing defender in NBA history. I think he's one of the strongest players in the whole NBA. He's unbelievably strong, and I think that's a big part of why he's so tough on defense. And even like Bam, like as we've talked about on other episodes, like his strength is a big factor. And I think Jalen's got more physical strength than Tatum, um, and that that sort of lends itself to to how good he is on ball. And I just think with, with Jalen, he's just got, he's got a little ways to go in terms of like awareness in terms of like making the right reads, but um, what he's capable of at moments, like playmaking, I guess it might be what separates him from Tatum is like, he can make some really big defensive plays. That one is super close. They're really hard to compare. I had to think about that one, but I'm going to go Jalen slightly ahead of Tatum. So Tatum second great defender came a long way. You know, I don't like I said on that all NBA podcast, I don't think he's quite an all NBA level defender, but he's really good. I mean, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He's smart. He just plays within the system. You can trust him. So he's number two. I'm actually going to go with Grant Williams for my number three. I know like you made some good points about him being a rookie and that in itself is a disadvantage, but uh, he's impressive. I'm not going to compare him to Draymond Green. But there are some similarities uh, in terms of the the wingspan, the sort of the physical profile, what he does well. He can protect the rim surprisingly well. He's very strong. I mean, he's another guy that's, you know, in terms of like rookies at that size and position, he's pretty much as strong as they come. I think he could be an elite defender. I think he has everything, the work ethic, the the tools, the the instincts. Like, I, I think... I think he's going to be really good. So I'm actually going to put him slightly ahead of Ojale. And I think Ojale, a.k.a. the brick shithouse, is 
a uh, a really good defender. Like I know he had um sort of like a couple of famous moments on or, or even games guarding Giannis where he, he did really well. Yeah. And again, strength is a big factor. Like I don't I don't know how fundamentally sound he is defensively, and I don't know about the reads he makes and everything, but he is so strong. You just can't move him. I mean, he's fucking jacked. Um, yeah. So, uh, so that I think that's like a big part of his defensive profile. I think I think Grant Williams has more ability, and that's why I put him slightly ahead. But but Semi's just got that you know that build where it's like, yeah. uh, and then I'm with you, man. I'm putting Hayward last. I don't think he's a bad defender. I think he's, I'd say he's slightly subpar now. I think he was probably average to slightly above average before his injury uh sneaky all right in utah sneaky all right he was i would say he was slightly above average there and uh and now i think he's um he's slightly below average but the crazy thing is like none of these guys are bad defenders so i think like the moral of this question is that the celtics have some really good defensive wings like that's a pretty fucking good five uh in terms of defensive wings yeah throwing those guys at Giannis in the playoffs will be fucking interesting like none of them can stop him but you throw those guys at Giannis for 48 minutes a game, he's going to get tired. They're, yeah, yeah, they're going to cause him some problems. I've, I have no doubt in my mind about that. Um, so, yeah, that was, a, that was an interesting question. That's something I, I mean, a Celtics fan, and I never would have thought about that, ranking those guys. So, all right, this one is from Tristan. Since Bill and Ryan, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo, love mentioning how they used to play ball, I figured we should know. Did you guys play much competitive basketball when you were younger? And if so, do you have any amusing stories to share about your playing days, particularly stories in which you can talk up how you should have gone pro or take the piss out of your irrational confidence or your jump shot? Jacob, (laughs) feel free to apply this to football. Well, I'll go first on this one. Yeah, I I played basketball my whole life growing up. I mean, as most of you know, like, you know, I get a lot of enjoyment out of uh, like following the game and and talking about the game and, and doing this podcast. But none of that compares to the enjoyment that I, I used to get out of playing it, to be honest. Like, so yeah, I started playing when I was young and I was pretty good. I played uh varsity basketball for a, a good high school team. You know, I got, I did get kicked off the team my junior year and then I wasn't eligible my senior year. And then uh, I tore my ACL, took a couple years off, moved out to California, started playing ball a lot again, got really into it gotten like legitimately good shape for the first time in my life and that's probably that was probably like the best version of myself as a basketball player was like age 21 22 23 I had a pretty good little repertoire of dunks you know I was six two six three white guy I could I could get up pretty good for for some dunks that was kind of my thing but yeah I had game I would say um I would say I was like a waste of talent you know though when it came to basketball like I never never took it like super seriously whether it was um just fucking up in school with my grades or just like drinking, smoking weed, whatever, or just, you know, just not wanting to play like team basketball. Like I kind of had that like Michael Beasley where I just always kind of just played this sort of like playground style. So it's weird because like I loved playing basketball more than anything like ever. That was the greatest enjoyment of my life probably. But then at the same time, I never took it seriously. Like it was always just for fun. Like I played all the time, but I I was kind of going in the wrong direction with it. But yeah, like long story short, I definitely played a lot. But um, when I was 23, I, I blew out my ACL for the second time in the same knee. And I really haven't played since. So it's been like 12 years now that I haven't touched a basketball barely. But maybe like once or twice a year, I'll, I'll go out and shoot just to make sure I still got it. But I haven't played competitive basketball since like, you know, 2007. So I miss it a lot. But that's one of the reasons I enjoy following the game so much now and, and talking about it is it sort of partially fills that void of 
not being able to play anymore. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I, I thought you should go first because for me, like, obviously in England, we don't really have the infrastructure. Like right now, living in London, I am probably like 15 minutes away from the nearest court and that is by far the closest I've ever been in my life. Like when I was younger, I've told this story a couple of times, like one of my friends was the point guard for the South, South England schoolboys and he was really good. Like he's the best player I've ever seen live and he was the one that first got me became a casual fan and he was like very much from the and one era like very much like the professor and iverson were his idols and he really got me in but i've only played five on five a couple times i was very much a football kid i played football growing up like same with you like that was kind of my greatest enjoyment growing up was football i wasn't very good at it i was i've got an okay left foot like i've got you know like i see some americans playing football and i'm like damn like that's just like I'm like you guys don't even know how to kick a ball. It's like it, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy when I see some guys like I saw like those try guy things. Like they were doing something. And I was like, you guys are throwing like frisbees, fucking seventy yards through holes that are like a foot wide, and you don't know how to kick a football. This is bizarre. But like, <laughs> yeah, I was never I was never really good at football, but I love it. I mean, for those some of you don't know, I'm a teacher in my real life, and we play five aside every week, or we did before the pandemic so I you know I still go out and play football but I was never good but I was good at rugby was the sport because I'm I'm a short guy like I'm like I'd say if I'm if I'm not as tall as Isaiah Thomas Isaiah Thomas might be an inch taller than me like that's how short I am I'm a very short guy but I have a very strong center of gravity and I'm pretty quick and strong for my size so like when we were growing up I hated rugby touch rugby. it's like touch football like flag football I really hated it because like guys could just like stop you and grab the flag or whatever, or just touch you and take the ball. Once we played full contact, I was like, Oh, these guys can't stop me now. Like I'm quick enough that like, if you're quick, you can't catch me. And if you're strong enough to bring me down, you can't catch, like you can't catch me. So I was like in a good zone, but I really hated rugby. Like rugby's just like, it's just a sport for rich wankers in England. (laughs) So I was just not a fan. I I know that's actually like, it changes by country because like in America, football is seen as this kind of sport for like hipsters whereas like over here it's just the sport everyone plays so you know like there's very much like the demographics change depending on where you're from but over here like I was not a fan of rugby like I would give anything to be as good at football or basketball as I am at rugby but I just was never that good and that really pissed me off but I just yeah (laughs) nowadays I just play football once a week when I can when the pandemic's over and I get to go back to work properly and regular life one day resumes. I just, yeah, I just play football once a week. I'm not very good. I'm like an average player, but yeah, I never, I have no preconceptions that I could have ever been anything more than a, you know, casual five-a-side football player. Man, I gotta, I gotta start doing that with, with basketball. Like I'm a little older than you, man, but like before I get too old, like I do want to give, give basketball another shot. Like, um, you know, whether it's just like a once a week men's league or something like, I know I can still play and I'm not, I'm not so, you know, I'm young enough that I could still do some things on the court probably, but man, it's been a while, but I I miss it so much that like, I would regret not giving it another shot at some point. Maybe I won't be up there dunking anymore, but, uh, you know, I just, I I do miss the competition. I think it's, I think it's just always been like a void in my life ever since I stopped playing. Like, it's it sounds weird man because it's just a sport and I was never going to be like a pro or even like a division one player but I loved it man and I was pretty good and and I do miss it all the time so all right man well uh, let's move on to the next one here it's um this one is from Mike 
If the NBA used this time off to reinvent the league, what one rule would you change, add, or remove, and why? And which player would take the best advantage of it? Okay. So, yeah. So what one rule would you change, add, or remove, and why? And which player would take the best advantage of it? Okay. So I approached this from basically, I want there to be other good ways to play basketball on offense that don't revolve a four or five out system. Just because the one thing, like I love the way basketball is played now in the NBA. The one thing I worry about is homogeneity in the league. I worry that, you know, analytics have driven it. So there is only one or two good ways to play basketball, one or two ways that make sense in the NBA. And if you're not doing it, you're going to lose. So my, t- my, I don't know, because I had four written down. They were widen the lane, remove three second violations, change the back down rule to what it was back when Shaq and Barkley could do it. Or, and this is probably my most controversial one, is remove charges. Those mm. were, and those, and those are all like you can tell, like the lane three second rules, both on offense and defense. So you can play whatever defense you want, whatever offense you want. Change the back down rules so what Shaq and Barkley did is legal again, and it's an option. Like you can shoot seventy percent and slow the game down to a crawl in the post. You might get blown out on the other end by running gun teams. And that's what I just think it creates more diversity and removing the charge. It, all of this in favor of basically Joel Embiid. Make Embiid great again. Make what <laughs> Embiid does. Just make what he does and give that a real option. Widen the lane. Like, yeah. you know, give these guys a real chance to be as efficient as guys, um, three point shooting teams, just because they're right now they're not. So they, they, we can talk about, oh, the, the, will the big man ever come back? He won't because the numbers never favor it. Like Carl Anthony Towns is the best post player statistically in the league, and a forty percent three point shooter is more valuable in the that shooting a corner three than he is in the post. The fact that that's true means that that will that style of play will never come back. So I just yeah, my my yeah. Any, any rule would be to uh, make the inside game more valuable to create, like I said, to give you diversity. You can play this way or you can run and gun. And they're both viable options. You just have to decide what works for you. That's great. Like, yeah, let's like let's get Cat back inside. Like, he can take some threes, but he doesn't need to be taking seven a game. Like, when people say, like, the, the big man is gone, it's like there's going to be big guys, but they're, they're going to be three-point shooters. Or they're going to be, you know, versatile guys like Giannis or Cat or Bam, like, you know, if you've got a guy that's six six that can do a certain number of things, and then you've got a guy that's six eleven that can do those exact same things, then the six eleven guys can be more valuable. So, like mm-hmm. in that sense, like the big man's always going to be more, more valuable. But if you're talking about like uh, the post playing big man, like yeah. that's that dude's going extinct. And I think we talked about this on one of our first episodes. Is basketball better now than it was in like the early '90s? In some ways, yeah, but. It's different. Like the early 90s had post play. Like I miss those guys, man. I miss Charles Barkley backing people down. I miss those battles between like Ewing and Olajuwon and Shaq and David Robinson. Like I miss that stuff, man. Like that was one of my favorite things about basketball was like those post battles. You just don't see that anymore. Um, Now, like most of the post ups are like fast break post ups or like mm-hmm. just kind of mismatches. Like, but you don't see those same like head to head power forward Barkley Malone or like 
Olajuwon Robinson post battles. And like, I think that that was one of the most appealing parts of the game. And that's why when people are like, is it better now than it was then? Maybe objectively, but to me, not necessarily because one of my favorite aspects of the game is all but extinct. So I'm all for um, encouraging the return of post play, at least in some capacity. Like I think it's an important part of basketball. Mine's more of a fun one. Uh, I want to see that FIBA uh, goaltending rule where as soon as it hits the rim, you can touch it. And whether you're on offense or defense, as soon as somebody's shot hits the rim, you could swat it off the rim if you're on defense or if you're on offense, you could just dunk it down. Um, I just think that would add so much excitement to the game. And then uh, in terms of like who it would favor, you know, there's a lot of guys, but it would just be any any big guy that can jump really like athletic bigs like uh, Mitchell Robinson comes to mind. And I think those guys are just fun to watch in general, like seven foot athletes or shot blockers. Like I, I want to see kind of more of that. And I think um, I would actually be all for that. Like maybe try it in the G League first, see how it goes. But I, I've always thought that was a, a cool rule. Um, it would be a big adjustment, but uh, it would I think it would add some excitement, man. Like, you know, as soon as it touches the rim, it's fair game. Like, let's go. No, that would be that would be really cool. And think of like, yeah, the excitement of like, like the first thing I think of is like Kawhi's shot from last year. Like, imagine you just see like yeah. Embiid or someone just rushing in on that second bounce and just swatting it away out of bound. Like, yeah, yes. that shit would be n- nail biting. That would be so yes. cool. That's a great example, actually, right there. That's a really good example. That that exactly that would it, it would change everything. And I mean, they do it in FIBA. Like, it's not like it's. Yeah. Yeah, completely yeah. radical or you know it's not like it hasn't been done so uh i'd be all for them uh implementing that in the g league and just just kind of seeing how it goes give it a couple of years and if the response is, is positive maybe maybe try to do it in the nba like mm-hmm. i think that'd be awesome why not no and um, another one that gives more value to big men as well exactly i think exactly we're both hitting on is that the big man is losing value and it's not that you know it has to go back to the way it was it's that both big little wing they all have to have depending on how you want to play they all have to have relatively equal value so that you can choose how you want to play fitting your lineup rather than just playing the way the analytics say which is like one or two different ways absolutely all right uh let's move on here um this next one is from dustin he says let's hear your nba finals predictions that don't include teams from la or milwaukee and why and then in parentheses, he says, I realize this is unlikely, but for the sake of discussion, humor me. So I guess um, an NBA Finals matchup with no LA teams or the Bucks. So I had a few for each, but I'm going to stick to just one. In the West, it's Houston. I think they have the biggest variance of, it was came down to Houston or Denver. I think Houston has the biggest variance of how good or bad they can be. And I think depending on how much teams have studied up, Coming into the bubble, if they, you know, keep this, you know, PJ Tucker at center, Rocco at four lineup, that they could really, you know, they could really fuck with teams. If they get on a hot streak, they could, you know, they they have, yeah, like I said, they have a high variance of how good or bad they can be. And that could, they could end up, I don't think they will, but they could end up blowing one of these big teams off the floor in a series, like win suddenly, win in six, and it's not really a, a close six just because Westbrook and Harden have caught fire at the same time. You know, that's I, I do think that's a real possibility. And in the East, it was very close. But actually, something we saw in the group earlier this week made me choose Toronto. 
I think Toronto, just because they are such a good defensive team and that really has value. Like they are so well put together. Nick Nurse is like, he is just amazing. Like the more Toronto I watch, the more I am enamored with how good Nick Nurse is as a coach. Like his mind is, it it's a level above most guys I've ever seen on the sidelines in the NBA. And, and the thing I was saying that in the post in the group was, about them putting pictures of family members for the players in their rooms. And I'm like, that's a real like chemistry moment. That's a real team gelling moment where you realize, yes, you are an employee of this team and they could trade you at any moment, but they do care about you. And you are more likely to play hard, work hard for someone who really cares about you. And I just, I just think that can be a real game changer in something like this where there's such small margins for error especially in this situation we're in right now with the bubble that could galvanize toronto in a way we might not see with teams like philly or boston who were other options for me so those are my two houston and toronto i like it yeah i dude i saw that i saw that too about how they um how they left the the family pictures out and i, I think i commented on that like you know, they, they really might repeat like because it really <laughs> is like little, little things like that and it's yeah. not just that thing alone but i think that's reflective of their culture and the way they treat their players and i think all that adds up to giving them an edge and i certainly wouldn't pick them probably not even to make the finals although they're right there i don't think the gap is as big between milwaukee and them uh and even boston and philly like as it is in the West, I'd almost guarantee it's going to be one of the LA teams in the West. But for the sake of this question, uh, I'm going to go with Dallas for my West team. I think Dallas is a really, really dangerous team. And I Mm -hmm. think, you know, obviously these playoffs are going to be like, just like nothing we've seen before. Like I, 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 to some degree, I feel like anything can happen. Um, They had a historically great offense, like truly one of the greatest offenses in NBA history. So I think if you get Luca and KP, fully healthy and firing on all cylinders, they could pull an upset in the first round. And then once that happens, like who knows? So, I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't put money on this to happen or anything, but if I had to pick like a sleeper team outside of the top two LA teams, I might even go with them over Houston or Denver. Anyway, Dallas is going to be my pick for the West for kind of a sleeper non LA team. And then in the East, I'll go with Boston. It's kind of a kind of a homer pick. I'm tempted to say Toronto, but since you did, I'm going to go with Boston. I have I still have so much faith in Brad Stevens. Like Nick Nurse rightfully gets a lot of credit as being the best or one of the best coaches in the league and a couple other guys are being mentioned now too, but I still think Brad Stevens is right up there. Uh, and um they're deeper than people realize, I think. Uh, they've got guys on their bench that I think have really helped them in the playoffs that people might not be looking at as far as like Robert Williams, Grant Williams, um, even like Wanamaker, like looked like a really good point guard. And I feel like that's where people would point to as being kind of their weaknesses, like that part of their roster, because their starting five or even their top six is, is unbelievable. Um, we've talked about smart on other podcasts, just the, the impact that he has as a defender. And then just to have all those wings and, and I, and I think above all else, it's Tatum, just like he could take it to another level here. Like he took it to another level in the 2018 playoffs where he just, we just went nuts, and then uh, and then this past season it continued, and uh, so I, I think he could really establish himself as like you know one of the five best players in the playoffs, and if that happens, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with. So, yeah, they they'd probably be my next pick behind Milwaukee, but like I said, it's really close between them, Toronto, and Philly. But I'll go I'll go Dallas, Boston as like my wild non Milwaukee LA finals. It's interesting. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, 
Wow, because yeah, I thought I thought Houston would be a pretty clear one, but Dallas is good. The the reason why my one worry is just Luca. It's his first time in the playoffs, and they are a different animal. And I'm just like I'm ready. Like I am so ready for Luca to be an MVP candidate. I'm not sure he's quite up for the challenge right now of leading a team in the playoffs against the what this a scheme that he's going to be schemed against over two weeks by the best teams. I think next year or the year after he will be ready and he will fuck yeah. shit up. I don't I just I'm not ready to trust it yet. Yeah, it's tough. I, I can only put so much trust in it. But like that's that's really what it comes down to is if he's reached that point yet. And I don't know if he has. And I guess that's I pick them based on the possibility that he has. I, I just feel like anything could happen this year, man. I really do. Oh yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Anything. Because like even with Houston, like Westbrook's still not with the team. Yeah, yeah, he tested. Westbrook's COVID. got COVID. Yeah. He's still yeah. not with the team. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm sure he'll be there, but do we? You know, is he going to be 100? percent I mean, it's. I don't know. I feel like so so much can change. It's hard to predict anything, obviously, with this. Anyway, uh, let's see this next one. Oh yeah, this is an interesting one. This is from Jim. He says, "I don't know what team Brett or Jacob roots for. I know this sounds basic, but sometimes I like to see if someone's favorite team sways their opinions." I guess since I'm asking, you guys have been pretty down the middle. <laughs> I don't have a favorite team. I'd say I have three and then a couple, you know, maybe five in total. But I, my, my main three are Portland, Boston, and the Lakers. And you're like, how are you a Lakers and a Celtics fan? I grew up in Massachusetts. So, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a Celtics fan because of that mainly. And then I moved to L.A., uh, right after high school to, to go to college. And I hated the Lakers when I got there. Um, but within a couple years, Kobe and them had, had won me over. Um, I got there in like, oh, oh three, I guess, oh four. So it was like, it was kind of like those bad Lakers teams, like the in-between Shaq and Powell, like those years with Kobe, where it was just like him and Brian Cook and, and smushing those guys. But I kind of fell in love with those teams. And uh, they became one of my favorite teams. I lived in LA for a long time. I'm still in Southern California. So those two, and then Portland, I, I've, I've always liked Portland. I like Portland. Like when I first started following basketball because of like Drexler. And then I love those jailblazers teams. Rashid was my favorite player. And I absolutely love those late nineties, early two thousands teams. And then I ended up moving to Portland in 2008 and living there for about seven years. I had season tickets for a couple years to the blazers. So they might be my number one. Like if, if they all played each other and I could only root for one, I might end up rooting for the Blazers, but those would be my top three. And then I always have like a couple of like auxiliary ones. Like the Suns have kind of come into the fold um, this past season. And and I like the Bulls a lot, but you know, I, I it's funny. There aren't many teams I don't like. I like almost every team in the league. Like I can find something to love about everybody, but, but yeah, Portland, Boston and the Lakers would, would be my top three. Yeah. I mean, I think this is, a bit different for anyone that's kind of lived in America. Cause like, if you ask me that about football, it's quite easy. And I am like, I have more biased opinions in football because of, you know, my family, where I'm from, et cetera, et cetera. But in America, like that shit, just like, I have no allegiances, but my history would be growing up, like playing kind of basketball games on the computer. I'd say probably like, I remember being like a Phoenix Suns fan back in like, the late nineties, early two thousands before they got Nash, uh, you know, just playing like random basketball games on the computer. Cause I just thought I was like 10, whatever years old. 
I was like, that's just a cool, I just like the logo. I like the name, whatever, you know, I'm a kid. Uh, then my friend that I talked about earlier, who's a good PG, he loved Iverson. So, you know, I got kind of into Philly. Then when I started to pick up kind of more game, I remember like NBA 2K or NBA Live, like 2006, 2007, Nash and the Seven Seconds Suns were awesome. And I loved them again. And that kind of more embedded the Suns, but I never really got that connected to them. Then when I really became like a super, super fan in like 2016, 17 season and got like fully embedded in basketball, like reading about it every day, you know, going, you know, everything that I could possibly find and just start doing it. The Philly were going through the process and I thought it'd be cool to be a fan of a team like that, that like right now you guys suck, but I can see a route to you guys becoming (laughs) awesome and I want to follow that journey. But I just never really followed through with it. I just, you know, I can never, because I have no emotional connection to any of these cities or any of these teams in particular, I just, yeah, I can never really follow through. So I never really got connected to any team. But if I had to be totally honest, I'd say I'm one of those assholes that's just a LeBron fan. Because <laughs> yeah, like, as a kid, like, I remember him coming out and being like, I remember my brother talking like, oh, this guy over in America, he's like 17. Everyone's saying he's the next Michael Jordan. And I was like, that's so cool. Michael Jordan's the shit. I want to follow this guy. And then, you know, and then I just kind of like, when I became like a super fan in the 2016 season, like I was, I was standing for LeBron to beat the Warriors. And that was the shit. Like that comeback, I remember staying up till like four in the morning watching game five, game six, game seven, that comeback and being like, this is so amazing. Basketball's fucking awesome. No, definitely. And just with like, yeah, that's interesting because my three kind of main teams are definitely based on like places I've lived, like where I grew up, uh, where I moved for college, and then where I moved, where I live for, I'd say like the majority of my 20s in Portland. So, all right, well, let's, here, we got a couple more here. Let's just, uh, let's bang them out. Um, this next one is from Ryan. He says, what bubble team is hindered most by their coaching, not counting Brooklyn because they don't have a coach? <laughs> and why is it the Pelicans and Alvin? I'm a nice guy. Everyone likes Gentry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's see. So Brooklyn, Brooklyn's coach is Jacques Vaughn, but we won't count them because, uh, no chance anyway. No, they have no chance. They're, they're a disaster. And he's just like an interim coach, but do you want to go first? Uh, Yeah. I mean, I mean this one, I thought, Oh, this is going to be difficult. Then it wasn't. It's Brett Brown. I was like, Brett Brown, I think is right now like it's easy to say because the coach is always kind of the most expendable part of any team because of how much you invest in the players and how important players are but brett brown at this point he's the one thing philly can get rid of to try to see if they can fix what's going on i just i just think like you know you have these generational players in simmons and Embiid. maybe there's issues way outside your control maybe i'm being unfair but you need to do better than this man Like you need to come up with some more interesting schemes. You need to come up with something that gets the most out of your players. Because you look at their top five players, like just in a vacuum, you've got like Embiid, Simmons, Tobias Harris, Al Horford, Josh Richardson. On paper, that's a fucking killer-sized lineup. And it just hasn't really, you know, they haven't really been blowing teams off the court like that this year. And that's, you've got to bring it back to Brett Brown. You just, you have to. So I'm just... Yeah, this is his last chance. I mean, if they, you know, if they lose in the first or second round, he's he's done for sure. He might have 
already been done if, if the season hadn't sort of um, gone on hiatus the way it did. He might have caught a little break here, but he's got one more chance. I think we've talked about it before. Like They're probably the best team in the league on paper. Um, they should be a lot better than they are. But, you know, he's he's tweaked the starting lineup. As I, I sort of had talked about this maybe happening a few podcasts ago with, with Shake Milton coming in and, and moving Ben Ben Simmons to more of a power forward role off the ball. And it's, it looks like they're going to be actually be doing that. And that, that could change things, but I'm glad he's, he's doing something because what they had going was was working but not enough to to contend for a title so yeah that's a good pick I, i'm gonna go with with indiana and nate mcmillan hmm. I, I don't know why that guy's still coaching in the nba like his style of coaching is is just so dated i mean he's obviously like a defensive-minded coach but it's the same story everywhere he goes like i remember like i said i lived in portland for a while and i remember going to those games in like you know, 2008 or 2009 when he was still there. And just thinking then like that his style of play was a little bit outdated, like, ah, why aren't they shooting more three pointers? And and it's just more of the same with this Indiana team. And I know part of that is their personnel. They don't have a ton of shooters, but I think like Miles Turner is a good example of a guy that they're really underutilizing. He shoots, uh, I think about four three pointers a game, which is, you know, probably on the high end still for a power forward center, but but based on their personnel and the fact that he's playing alongside Sabonis and just the nature of the game now, I think he should be shooting like six or seven threes a game. Like I think he's like should be in that Jaron Jackson range. Like I think he's that good of a shooter. And I think that's kind of who they should be modeling him after. And for whatever reason, they haven't done that. They've just they're always one of the slowest paced teams in the league. They're always at the very bottom in terms of three point attempts. And and it's just it's just Nate McMillan. It's wherever he goes. I don't think he's gotten out of the first round. And I think he's been a head coach for, I'd have to double check this, but I think he's been a head coach for 16 years. And I think he's only gotten out of the first round once. And it was like with Seattle in like 2004, like before they even went to OKC. So all those years in Portland, all these years in Indiana, it's either he misses the playoffs or he's done in the first round. So I I just, I don't see why that guy is still coaching. I feel like there's so many good young coaching candidates out there and and it's so weird in the nba how they just recycle the same old names it's like why are we still talking about tom thibodeau like why are we still why is nate mcmillan still a coach like these guys are washed get him out of there like there's some young coaches that could be doing a much better job they need indiana especially with their kind of unique situation having the two centers like that like they need somebody imaginative and nate mcmillan is the opposite of imaginative like he's the type of coach that will get you to the playoffs he'll get you 45, maybe even 50 wins, but you're not going to win a title with a guy like that. He's just not creative enough. And I I think he's, I think he's hurting them and and I think he will continue to do that. And hopefully they go in another direction soon. I think that's fair. And I think we have seen as well. I think you're right that we have seen teams that have taken gambles. It doesn't always work, but it's worth taking a gamble on a Brad Stevens or a Nick Nurse, even if it doesn't work out. Because if you hit, on a coach from like overseas or from college like that, you know, you can set your franchise up for the next 10 years to be an interesting team, like a real contending team with the right coach. And yeah, I'd, I mean, you're it's, actually, it's always these same guys, you know, it's like yeah. he's Alvin Gentry he's back yeah. up for another yeah. gig and Tom Thibodeau and, and yeah, and, I mean, and Nate McMillan, Thibodeau. like these are the most boring, like choices imaginable. Like they haven't really proven themselves. And, Let's let's get some fresh faces in the NBA. Like, come on! Like, I'm tired of all these these old boring coaches. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, he's Nate's oh, yeah. Nate's a prime example of that to me. All right. Uh, let's see. I think we've got one more here, and then we'll be we'll be out of here. Um, yeah, last question. This one is from Dave. He says it seems like every postseason has a breakout player, someone who is not on the casual fans' radar and shows out. 
What player is primed for a breakout run in the bubble? I looked at this question and I was like, huh. Because obviously we are all in that kind of that bubble of super fandom in that fishbowl. It's harder for us to get outside of ourselves and see what the casual fan sees. So I went to the internet and I googled the most followed NBA players and I found just a <laughs> random celebrity list, the 25 most followed Instagram accounts for NBA players. And I was like, if you're on that list, you're off. You're out of this this running for this. So there were, you know, obviously, obviously the guys you can think of are all out. So the guys I came to were and I, as another thing I actually added was I went with guys that I think can go for more than one round in the playoffs. So I discounted guys like Luca, Jar, Zion, because I think whether they get to the playoffs or not, I think, I mean, you sided with Dallas, but I don't see them getting out of the first round, depending on who they play. You know, it's, it's one of those things like, I'm not going to say you're going to go on a, you're going to be a breakout player if you only play six games. You know what I mean? Like, you, like I want to see you play at least 10, 12 games to really have that kind of status. So the guy, the guy I'm probably going with, and obviously it's unfortunate not have Steve here because I actually chose Middleton as my breakout player because I think he's talented enough and teams are going to be so loaded up on Giannis going into the playoffs and they're going to say, you know, Giannis is maybe the best team, in the maybe the best player in the league. We are not going to let him beat us. And then but I think is smart enough to say to trust Middleton with that role. And I think Middleton is good enough to take that role and, you know, put up 25, eight and five in a couple playoff series. And like, you know, maybe there's a playoff series that particularly he wins them game four and game five and, you know, gets a buzz in the media. And I think, I think that's a very real possibility. And like I say, he is going to be in the running as a team that goes deep. So he's going to get more more bites of that apple to really break out in the casual fans' eyes. Other guys I had on that list were Siakam, Tatum, and Bam, because you know they're on teams that could easily, like Miami, could easily get out of the first round. Boston and Toronto could, you know, get to the conference finals. Whatever that you know, they have lots of opportunities, and they are players that we as hardcore fans know about and love, but the casual fan maybe hasn't quite caught up on Tatum yet or Bam or Siakam like they might know their name they might I think Tatum's probably just on the bubble of getting onto this list because I think he's maybe got a bit more buzz than these other guys but Siakam and Bam especially I think could break out but Middleton's definitely my pick yeah that's a that's a good pick man I mean what was that series I think it was a first round series against the Celtics in 2018 where the Celtics won in seven but Middleton was just unbelievably good he was killing the Celtics I think his true shooting was like 72 percent that series and you know he averaged like 25 and five there was just nothing we could do he was absolutely better than Giannis in that series so I could see him doing something because the Celtics obviously just keyed in on Giannis and Middleton made us pay. But yeah, I could see something like that happening again for sure. And and you made a good point too about like we're obviously more than casual fans. So like Middleton to us is like, you know, a star, like a great yeah. player. And same with like Siakam Tatum, everyone you mentioned, like those to us, those like seem like obvious choices. But if you're just looking at casual fans, which is what Dave mentioned in the question, that's a really good choice. I, yeah, I, I, I'm going to go a little more obscure for mine, and I'm going to go with OG Ananobi. I think he's just a good playoff player, 
just I think he's built for the playoffs. Look, like Toronto, I th- I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the conference finals. Um, I think that you know I think obviously they're going to get out of the first round, so he'll have enough games, you know, like you were talking about to sort of qualify for this. I mean, the defense is is excellent. I had him on my all defensive second team. I think he's one of the ten best defensive players in the NBA right now. And then offensively, like God, he always, he just seems like he's on the cusp of kind of breaking out, like just just figuring it all out. Um, I, I'm just reminded so much of Kawhi when I watch him play. And you know, right now, like heading into these playoffs, you know, he might be their fourth, fifth best player, fourth, fifth option, something like that. He's got a smaller role on that team, but I could see him being their best player for a series. Like I really could. I could see him just not saying it's going to happen, but if we're talking about potential breakout guys, I could see OG just having a monster series where he just kind of comes into his own and yeah. And he's like their best player for a series at the very least. Um, And if they're going to really get to the conference finals or or certainly to the finals, they're going to need him to do his best impersonation of Kawhi. Like he's going to have to be that dude on both ends of the floor. So I think there's a lot on his shoulders right now. It doesn't seem like it, but I think I, I think they really need him to be awesome, to make some noise. And I think he has the potential to be that. There's a lot to like about that kid's game. And just as far as somebody that a lot of people, especially casual fans, aren't paying attention to, um, I think he's somebody who could legitimately make a name for himself in the next two months. Yeah, no, I think, yeah, OG is a, he's definitely a deeper cut. I was going for and I think the reason why I didn't go for someone like OG who could it's entirely possible he could be the most impactful player in a series but also I went with kind of right casual fans they're going to look at someone who scores 20 points a game I don't know if OG could be the most important player in a series without scoring 20 points a game because his you're right his defense like I really struggled with OG and if we if we'd gone three teams deep he would have definitely easily made my all defensive team like he is great and you're right he needs to he needs to develop his offensive game and he's got the tools he's got the like his build is absolutely incredible like he is built for the NBA but he just yeah there's just I don't I don't trust and maybe it's just a hangover from last year where he kind of he took a step back and you know I haven't delved deep into it but as I understand there were personal issues in his life that meant he wasn't fully focused on basketball and obviously this year he's you know, gotten back on it and he's shown the promise that we saw coming into the league or, you know, the buzz that I remember hearing when he he got picked up 23rd overall. And I remember the buzz at the time being like, oh, that's a great pickup. And yeah. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't super high on him coming out. Um, And even like after his rookie year, like I, I really wasn't that high on him. And I think I underestimated like just his physical strength, like again, like that's that is so important in the NBA these days, especially as a defender. But um, he he is very very strong, like Kawhi level strength almost, and that that's huge for him. I think as an offensive player, the the thing he really needs to work on is just his ball handling. When I watch him play, that's sort of the big weakness that I see is he doesn't he can't do a lot with the dribble yet, and I think that might be the one piece where. Maybe we're not quite there yet, but when that happens, he could really be like a Kawhi light. That's a good point, though. Like like you said, like casual fans are going to notice the guys who score more, and you know maybe OG is going to be doing more of the little the little things in terms of his impact. But at the same time, I could see him putting up some pretty good numbers over a series in the right matchup. They're going to have he's going to be on the floor a lot, you know, against mm-hmm. no matter who they're playing in the East, whether they run into the Celtics or the Sixers or the Bucks. That's their guy against all those wings and Ben Simmons of the world and all those guys, uh, Giannis, 
they're going to rely on him heavily. And I think just by him being on the court close to 40 minutes a game in some series, like I think that's going to dictate him putting up some, some pretty eye popping numbers, at least for a series or so. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of guys I could have gone with on this, but he, he kind of came to my mind first. And I think he, um, I really think he might be something special. Yeah, and just if he if he does that, then he's he's going to start challenging, you know, Ben Gordon as the best player to ever come out of the UK. So I'm I'm hoping I'm hoping. <laughs> that's OG. right, he is out of the UK. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right, man. He moved he moved when he was four, but he was born in London. So he's got kind of like him. a almost kind of like a weird act. Like when you hear him talk, like he doesn't sound like like you'd think when you hear him speak. I think maybe that's got something to do with it. Is that um, you know he's kind of got this weird voice, this weird accent, but yeah. Well, I mean, he was born in London to Nigerian parents and they moved to Missouri. So it's like, you know, that's a very weird, like Nigerians generally, they're very yeah. Nigerian accents when they come to London and then, you know, they can pick up kind of more of a kind of Patois kind of Jamaican style while here and then to then move to Missouri and kind of mix all that together. Yeah. It's a very, now he's very playing, now, he's, now he's playing in Canada. So he's all yeah, fucked up. Yeah, it's all kind of <laughs> fucked up right now. But, uh, yeah, no. Yeah, he is. He's he's awesome. I'll be I'll be watching him closely um, during the playoffs. But anyway, man, I think that that wraps it up for today for the rest of the mailbag. And um, like I said at the beginning, everybody just keep uh, sending any any questions you have for future mailbags or any topic suggestions or feedback or anything. Pod Strickland Pod at Gmail dot com, and we'll definitely be doing more of these in the near future. But yeah, that was fun, and uh, I look forward to doing it again, Jacob. Thanks as always, man. And big shout out to Steve. Steve will be back with us on Sunday. Hell yeah. And thank you to everybody, everybody listening for, for all the continued support. You know, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. It it helps us out a ton. Maybe, maybe leave us a little five-star rating if you don't mind, but if not, no big deal. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And, uh, and we will talk to y'all soon. All right. Peace. Thank you.